welcome to Lead Poisoning Majors, the podcast where one of our hosts' apartment building has lead paint that they're getting rid of. You know what I love, Liam? I love drinking paint. What's your favorite flavor of paint? None of them, because Tom, I left my apartment today to find that it was covered in plastic sheeting in the hallways. I come back after my dog walk to see everyone in the, in my hallway wearing gas masks. I like drinking a rich Auburn. <laughs> rich Auburn. A nice burnt sienna. But no, they're break there's apparently because my building is super old, there's lead paint in it. And they're Damn. breaking it out while we're Holy just kind of sitting here on our asses. Like a bunch of jabronis. If Liam's audio just stops during this episode, you will know why, listeners. Now I know what you're thinking. I'm sure I look, I'm sure that's bad, but I'm sure that's not the only bad thing to happen in your apartment. Well, let's go over a quick list. Uh, the smoke, de- the super came out and took our smoke detector out because it was beeping and hasn't come back in a year. Uh, <laughs> our shower is in the kitchen under the exposed wire of the smoke detector. Uh, the heater we cannot control. And if the temperature outside goes under 52, the heater turns on immensely. So no matter what the temperature is, the air conditioning always has to be on. When we first started this podcast, Liam came to me and he said, Tom, this is going to be a very ephemeral project because I could die at literally any moment. The fridge has been leaking brown sludge uh, since we've moved in. We have yet to figure out a cause for it. So we just put paper towels in the little crevice next to it and just kind of hope for the best. Yep. Oh, our door is held together with duct tape. (laughs) Living big in New York. (laughs) Yep. The big city. This is Media Majors, a podcast that documents my last days on this planet before I succumb to lead poisoning. Uh, It's also a storytelling podcast. My name's Liam Senior. I tell stories about the show business of movies and television, baby. And I'm Thomas Lockney, and I tell stories about video games and internet culture. And today, ooh, today, I'm going first. And not only that, today is the first time we've recorded in the daylight. Oh, that's true. Yeah, we're doing a a mid-afternoon recording. Isn't that fun? A little afternoon delight. Tom, tell me a story. At the turn of the 21st century, popular developer Rare began work on what was intended to be their last game for the Nintendo 64. Donkey Kong 64 2, what happened to Cranky? Donkey Dong. (laughs) No, don't don't sexualize. Don't sexualize the Kongs. Half of them are kids. A game called The Dinosaur Planet. For anybody who doesn't know Rare, they're this classic developer who's sort of fallen out of favor now, but they've made a lot of really classic titles like Banjo-Kazooie, GoldenEye, Perfect Dark, etc. Dinosaur Planet was to be an open-world title focusing on two interweaving narratives. These narratives were centered around a male named Saber and a female fox named crystal that's with a k now i wonder what's gonna happen shigeru miyamoto noticing the similarity in design between dinosaur planet and star fox suggested that they simply subsume the new ip into the established star fox franchise this this happens with creative projects yeah that's how uh you know how uh, the, the original mario game was a popeye game as a result many facets of the original game are lost but crystal remains now, listeners, may- maybe you're on a bus or a train on your commute. Maybe you're listening in a car. Maybe you don't know who Crystal is or what she looks like. Liam, I've attached an image, and I would like you to describe this character for our listeners. Crystal, for people who don't know, is a vixen. 
And <laughs> I hate that that's the first thing on her fandom page. Yep. That's so great. So she is a, a fox, uh, 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 but a very blue fox, a kind of blue and gray fox with blue hair, a crown, um, a, a sort of a bluish, indigo-ish, skin-tight suit, a tail with some hair tie-looking things on it, and sort of like the Madonna cone boobs, but a little more domey. Well, yes. Actually, in, in the game Star Fox Adventures, she is wearing a loincloth and a bra and a bracelet, and that's about it. So she's a hot fox, basically. Fox's love interest. The game was released in 2002 to generally favorable reviews, though people have since come to their senses and realized that it's a fucking terrible game. It's so bad. And that Star Fox Assault is so much better. Now, cut to 2009. We're going to take a little shift here. Okay. Anita Sarkeesian is a student at York University when she launches her website, Feminist Frequency. She gains clout as a feminist critic via her writings and YouTube videos, and in 2012 launches her successful Kickstarter campaign for a video series entitled Tropes vs. Women in Video Games. The first of this series is entitled Damsels in Distress and examines the pervasive use of the damsel trope in video game storytelling. One of the examples provided is Crystal a female character damseled both in narrative and creation. She was once meant to be the star of her own game, but was relegated to the role of damsel in a new game that and universe that she technically was not a part of. Q, of course, sexist backlash, where people will say, fuck you, Anita Sarkeesian, you're an idiot, how dare you have an opinion because you're a woman. Uh, media major, media majors uh, is a big support of Anita Sarkeesian. <laughs> now, in February mm-hmm. of 2015... Uh-oh. Nick Robinson joins Polygon.com. Yes! Gaming website and hub of, for the most part, excellent content. Yeah. He becomes one of their most popular human brands via his podcast, Cool Games Inc., as well as his joint video series with Griffin McElroy, Carboys, and Touch the Skyrim. And that great video where they try to speedrun Gone Home. (laughs) We're big Nick and Griffin fans. And Justin and Travis and Clint and Charlie and Sydney and Teresa and Rachel. Did I name everybody? Did I forget anyone? Oh, and uh, uh, Riley, Riley and, and Taylor. Taylor. He is quite active on social media with years of prior experience in that particular realm of business. And as any good brand manager would notice, being horny online is kind of popular in 2017, huh? Big, big thing. Look at that. So on March 26th, 2017. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> He tweets the following tweet. <laughs> Quote. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys. I oh, follow God. Nick on Twitter, so I've, I've, I've had a bit of a oh. clue. I'm so excited. Just oh. read it. Read it. Read it. No, <laughs> <laughs> no offense, but anyone who acts like they didn't jack off to Crystal from Star Fox Adventures is lying to you. Oh, God, I don't even know where to start. Yep. Oh, which brings us to Horny Liam. Horny Liam? What? what? Horny Liam. Oh, God, that's terrible. That's one of Liam's side projects. Yeah, it's not good. I do not recommend you listen to it. Liam, I'm going to send you a link. Grossness to the mostness. (laughs) At least least in one of these pictures, I mean, like, at least in these pictures, she's definitely coming. 
Man, Son- she tied Sonic up good. What I have linked Liam to is a Google search page for Crystal Star Fox hentai because I don't know if listeners, as you know about this, but Crystal actually does have a huge or did have a huge hentai following, which is what uh, prompted that tweet. However, it does not end at the tweet because Feminist Frequency does not care for Nick Robinson's sentiment and replies with the following, or they quote tweet him, quote, Nobody in our office feels that way about Crystal. In fact, we find her character deeply disappointing. Here's why. Link to Damsels in Distress video. Uh, The tweets continue, quote, She's literally trapped in a crystal. Finding a female character who is damseled and stripped of her agency arousing is kind of gross, TBH. And one final tweet. Attitudes like this are indicative of just how male-dominated gamer culture remains. Newsflash, we don't care about your boners. Well, surely they care about my boner. Cue the dunks. Dribble, dribble, dribble. Gonna read a few tweets here. At Mechapoetic says, No offense, but anybody who acts like they didn't jack off to Bubsy from Bubsy and Claws Encounters of the Furred Kind is lying to you. (laughs) At GameMakerAppCo. We regret to announce that literally every person in our office is horny for Crystal from Star Fox. <laughs> At Merit K. A quick straw poll of the office has revealed that 65% of my coworkers have cranked their hog to Donkey Kong. Jesus they have been dismissed. Christ. I mean, I've heard of Cranky, cranky Dong, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my personal favorite, a tweet mashup randomly generated between wint and feminist frequency love it read anita's new piece of cardboard that says gamecube sucks dick (laughs) (laughs) you know listen listen we we support feminist critiques of games but sometimes we like to have a little fun yeah we we all love a little bit of harmless dunking uh and we should also remember that nick robinson and anita sarkeesian are people and well they did like kind of fuck up a little bit here calling them like bad people or writing them off entirely is not okay and also feeding into, like, the actual sexist bullshit that uh, conservative commentators leverage this stuff into is, like, fucking, it's, it's just the worst. Heat Street, oh, fuck, I, uh, I hate Heat Street so much, wrote a whole article about how, like, Anita Sarkeesian's trying to kink shame Nick Robinson for being a furry or whatever. <laughs> and And it's just, like, all this, like, latent sexist bullshit and it's like the fucking worst thing because because like why can't we just like uh there's a difference between a roast with a point and straight up bullying especially because a lot of that bullying is related to sexism and it's fucking nasty well i think i think the important thing is these these dunks were not directed towards anita sarkeesian they were directed towards the comments specifically between nick and her exactly and, like, the one that kind of toes the line, but I still think is is in no way a harsh comment, is the, the Wint one about how GameCube sucks. Like, that's just a great joke. Yeah. So that being said, let's talk about being horny online. And the, the type of horny online that we're talking about sort of comes from queer spaces. So as, as the podcast's resident queer... <laughs> resident queer is the worst Resident <laughs> Evil spinoff. <laughs> Pr- 
Press X to put Leon's hand on Mike's thigh. <laughs> is resident queer? You have to escort. You have to escort Leon and his budding sexuality throughout a fucking mansion. It's the eyes wide shut mansion. I'm gonna take the reins on a lot of this. So, to my understanding, being horny online, the good kind, uh, not the not the gross like slide into your DMs with the dick pics kind. Josh Groban comes from queer people i don't have any data from that that's I, I just have a feed full of really like funny queer folks who are horny online a lot and i i've tried to do a bunch of reading about this and one of the most interesting ideas i've come across so far that i happen to agree with uh, is that this type of horniness is sort of a, an act of defiance and reclamation uh, sort of a, a kind of a holdover from the real world where i mean you know like Pride can often center around self-sexualizing imagery because queer people's sexuality is is constantly policed and they are themselves sexualized. They're told that they're depraved, craven deviants whose true desires can never be allowed to come out or be expressed when in actuality uh, what the world is damaged by is like shitty straight dudes uh, harassing women online for nudes and shit like that. So rather than presenting sexuality in the form of like a demand like send nudes uh, <laughs> queers often engage in a more playful joking tone often self-deprecating or they do it as a means of celebration online and this is partly why it centers around fictional characters like the shark from breath of the wild that everybody wanted to have sex with because fictional characters aren't aren't real which is different from say uh cranking meat to a real life person yeah, yeah. Because because when a, char- a character, a fictional character, doesn't exactly exist, so the issue of consent is is changed. But even that has its caveats. Where, for example, like if you're regularly turned on by dominated characters, especially dominated women, then you might need to examine why that is, and it doesn't necessarily make you bad or sexist. Um, because we're still dealing with a realm of fantasy, which complicates the manifestation of those desires. But it's worth like thinking about and examining in yourself, like why why am I exclusively turned on by uh, subservient women? Say, if you're if if you're turned on by exclusively by like crystal characters and characters in that position, then you might th- where it's explicitly about their place in a narrative um or or, or maybe it's not because maybe 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 hey Nick you're just Robinson, super maybe. horny for that you're box ju- you just want a fucking blue fox which is totally fine and that's why that's why everybody kind of pushed back against feminist frequency because it's not inherently wrong to want to have sex with a blue fox but i'll, I'll get to that in a second an anthropomorphic blue fox yeah or well listen okay a fictional a fictional blue fox yeah I just I just don't want people to go out and start fucking foxes because one those poor foxes and two you are gonna get your dick bitten off. Uh, being horny is also collaborative. It's it's all about the community coming together and saying, "Hey, we all want to fuck this fictional shark <laughs> man." Right? Being horny is also collaborative. It is. Tom Lockney, April 6, two thousand seventeen. Dude, that is the best fucking poll quote from this podcast in the thirty six episodes we've done. <laughs> like without question. Oh God! It's it's a shared thing where we all kind of look at each other and be like, "Hey, we're we're all really attracted to this one fictional character," which is what it was for young straight furries or or gay furries with Crystal. But since it's so uh, shared, it changes the the performative aspect of it from something egoistic to something communal, where you know, 
like it's still performative like when when we when we tweet i want to fuck the shark we are still like kind of performing but in a in a sort of like shared experience where it's like me too and so what you have is is this trend that blows up of a marginalized community being horny online and you know what happens with marginalized communities and their trends nothing bad ever happens it's <laughs> That's all right. good nothing bad they're just left to grow enjoy their thing and not have it ruined by anybody uh no that's not true they get appropriated usually by white people and brands so like you know nick robinson brands are just distilled human trends reappropriated and and made worse usually e.g uh the kink off between two fucking brands that i can't even be bothered to remember during the super bowl where where they were like we're more kinky like we're into bdsm or what the fuck ever but brands introduce competition into the fold as do well you know dudes by just being hyper masculine and hyper masculine expressions of horniness kind of suck the i'm more horny than you are type deal or in <laughs> nick robinson's case if you're not horny you're you're lying you're a loser like like if you're not if you're not horny like what the fuck is the matter with you stuff like that which is not like necessarily terrible or hateful but but could you say that uh nick robinson maybe bustowed his nuts too much Oh, I'm mad at you now. You've ruined this podcast. You've ruined this beautiful podcast. <laughs> Too bad, it's canon. Uh, and this is also 2017 where people are brands. Uh, and that's kind of a whole fucking bucket of worms too, isn't it? <laughs> no, the, what happened to the can? <laughs> what? It's a bucket? The economy's gotten so bad we have to put all our canned worms into a bucket. So that's where we are. I don't think that anybody like owns horny online and queers will definitely tell you that they don't own horny like it's not like the the idea that nick robinson was horny online is not the problem it was just sort of like the way that he did it was that that sort of like oh like a dude not totally uh participating in this trend genuinely did did this thing and and altered it slightly and altered it maybe for the worse even if it was in small imperceptible ways but this particular brand of horny is getting mainstream it's going to continue and it's going to clash with establishment horny i.e uh dudes sending dick pics uh like like fucking like emma watson's a furry now and sam jackson watches hentai like everybody's horny now it's 2017 and nobody gives a fuck anymore wait wait stop i knew about sam jackson and hentai what's this about hermione being into Emma Watson uh, gave an interview about Beauty and the Beast, and she was like, yeah, like, the animal's kind of sexy. And it was like, oh, Emma Watson wants to fuck anthropomorphic animal. I think you might be reading a little bit into it. Also, (laughs) do you know who's playing the Beast? It's Dan fucking Stevens. So, yeah, that's going to be a fucking sexy beast. So I thought that this would be a, uh, you know, we live in an opening world where everybody's expressing themselves in, in a certain... warm and wet opening world i'm sorry i'm oh sorry God. i'm sorry i'm sorry oh i'm sorry i'm sorry i watched archer <sighs> last night like a ton of it i don't know what uh this this post horny is gonna look like but it's gonna be pretty fucking weird y'all I'll and say. uh just to end i want to reiterate like even though even though we're kind of like Criticizing them, Nick Robinson and Anita Sarkeesian are like not necessarily like not bad people. Not at they all. fucked up a little bit and they stumbled onto a discourse trampoline and it was worth talking about and thinking about. Uh, because as horny gets more mainstream, it's gonna change and we should think about 
what that means. So, uh, shout-outs to them. I hope the discourse did not... Hey, Anita, Nick, I hope the discourse did not weigh heavy upon your necks. Uh, so that's that's my story. Amazing. All right. Okay, guys. So, originally, I was going to do a story about one of my favorite voice actors. And we're going to save that for later because it's a story of triumph and beauty. But something happened this week. Oh, and I... And oh. I thought, well, maybe I'll just tell a little, a little ditty about it. And the more I dug in into the story, the more I realized that this was not only a crazy thing, but we could have, we could have saw this coming. Liam has been texting me for like days now, just like so fucking jazzed to talk about this. So my story is called No Coke. Pepsi, okay? <laughs> 1893. Oh no. The drink Pepsi was first introduced in New Barn, North Carolina, United States by Caleb Bradham, who made it in his drugstore where the drink was sold. It was called, and I am not fucking kidding, Brad's Drink. You want to go have some of Brad's Drink? If you don't let him catch you, don't let him catch you dead with Joe's beverage or he will cut you off. Don't drink Braddy. His name's Caleb Bradham and it, like it wasn't Caleb's Cola, it was Brad's Drink. So Bradham, uh, he sought to create a fountain drink that was appealing and would aid in digestion and boost energy. This was basically a huge ripoff of John Pemberton's coca syrup seven years prior, the first non-alcoholic, non-cocaine-based cola. Cola, fun fact, uh, was originally made from cola nuts, cocaine leaves, and port wine instead of sugar. So it was it was like for loco. Yeah, for, for people who didn't realize that they were putting poison in their bodies. <laughs> On three separate occasions between 1922 and 1933, the Coca-Cola company was offered the opportunity to purchase the Pepsi company, and it declined on each occasion. Pepsi declared bankruptcy at the start of the Depression, but then things turned around. They introduced a 12-ounce bottle for cheap, and because of that, they were able to build up enough capital and make it out of the depression and became almost uh, not as popular as coca-cola but uh, popular enough with a lot of working class people the drink of the proletariat kind of well you'll you'll see they had enough money to start a cr countrywide campaign uh, advertisement campaign and they brought in walter mack in the 1940s walter mack was named the new president of pepsi cola and he would guide the company through the 40s Mac was a progressive civil rights activist, and notice that the company's strategy of using advertising for a general audience either ignored African Americans or used ethnic stereotypes in portraying them. Up until the 1940s, the full revenue potential of what was called the Negro market was largely ignored by white-owned manufacturers in the, U in the U.S. Mac realized that African Americans, you notice how he calls them African Americans. Oh. Because he's, he's a good person. Okay, is he a good person? Is he a good person? Or is he just, like, not as racist as everybody else? Listen to this. He realized that African Americans were an untapped market and that Pepsi stood to gain market share by targeting advertising directly towards them. So then he hired Hennon Smith, from, who worked in African American newspaper fields, and led an all-black sales team Oh wow! to come up with a Pepsi campaign. Okay. His whole idea was... That's fucking rad. He was like, it's ridiculous that we're not selling to everybody. We can sell to everybody without having it be a whole big thing. Let me hire black people who know how to sell without making it a whole Shitty horrible consequence. And gross and 
He was worst. super progressive. He was he was kind of awesome. And unfortunately, the team had to be cut because of World War II, but Mac uh, kept he kept them an anyway and just like kind of kept it under the rug because he was like, I don't I I. I really think it's a bad idea if we lose this. So him and his uh, right-hand man, Edward F. Boyd, came up with the advertising idea of portraying black Americans in a positive light. Whoa! I know, Whoa, right? Leah, what a revolutionary idea! For example, they uh, at the time, uh, most of the advertisements using black people were Aunt Jemima or Uncle Ben, and it was supposed to be like, here, white people, look, a nice black person serving you food. You can be calm. And so Walter Mack was like, that's fucking racist. That's insane. What if it's like, so instead of that, it's like, here's just a normal African-American woman and her child enjoying a Pepsi together. And it fucking killed. Like, it did great. Oh, shit. There was another ad campaign titled Leaders in Their Field and profiled 20 prominent African-Americans, such as Nobel Peace Prize winner Ralph Bunch and photographer Gordon Parks. He also led the sales team around the country to promote Pepsi while there was ra racial segregation and Jim Crow laws. Sorry, it is storming outside right now. <laughs> yep, there's going to be rain on this one, guys. I apologize. They faced a lot of discrimination. They were uh, threatened by the Klan. They were threatened by white people who weren't part of the Klan. The governor of Georgia tried to get them to leave. Oh, God. But as a result, because of they kept trying and they would reach out to people like Duke Ellington and, and like that, Pepsi's market share as compared to Coke shot up uh, dramatically in the 50s with African-American soft drink consumers three times more likely to purchase Pepsi over Coke. It turns out, turns out an intersectional approach is the best one. Yep. Turns out when you want to appeal to all people, you should hire all types of people. Yep. Crazy, right? Fucking wild. Do you want to hear what their schedule was? Like what they sure. would do. The team members, this is a quote from journalist Stephanie uh, Caporal, who interviewed the six men in the 1940s. The team members had a grueling schedule, working seven days a week, morning and night, for weeks on end. They visited bottlers, churches, ladies groups, schools, college campuses, YMCAs, community centers, insurance conventions, teacher and doctor conferences, and various civic organizations. They got famous jazz musicians to give shout-outs for Pepsi. No group was too small or too large to target for a promotion. What I really like was to repeat again, it was about lifting people up. This focus on the market for black people caused some consternation within the company and among its affiliates. Uh, it did not want to seem focused on black customers for fear of white customers would be pushed away. <sighs> I'll just say like, it. I, I'm just, if people are worried, this won't, there's no trigger warning, nothing terrible happens. Uh, just, you know, okay, your good. basic, just your basic white people being all ruffled in the feathers. Because God, like the the like the very idea of them, of their their dominance being threatened causes them to fucking shit their pants and say a bunch of racist crap. And some of the racist crap. There is a meeting that Mac Mac tried to uh, assuage five hundred bottlers in attendance, and after they said they told him that we don't want to become known as the N word drink, Ugh. and after that Mac quit the company. Wow. The black sales team. Yeah, he was like, fine, fuck it, I'm done. He quit the company, and the black sales team was faded and eventually was cut. And after that, that's when Pepsi kind of reconfigured itself. They mm. got Joan Crawford on board, a director. She used her sex symbolism star power to appeal to not only uh, white men, but white women. And they started the Cola Wars with Coke. They would always try, Pepsi at this point would now always try to appeal to the youth. That's the one thing that kind of took away from Mac. And they would um, 
have the Pepsi theme song sung by various artists from Joni Summers to the Jacksons to Britney Spears. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that commercial. Well, let's talk about it. So that, that was just the theme song. So they've also done commercials with celebrities. Uh, they tried to do a commercial with Michael Jackson. Uh, during filming, they lit his hair on fire. In 89, pop provocateur Madonna inked a $5 million endorsement deal with the soft drink brand. Two months later, Madonna debuted Like a Prayer, the title track of her fourth studio album, in a two-minute television com- commercial called Make a Wish. Pepsi would pull the ad after Madonna released her Like a Prayer video, which was filled with religious imagery and is also a song about blowing a dude. <laughs> God bless Madonna. Oh, she's the best. Uh, the song would go on to be one of Madonna- Madonna's biggest hits. Madonna is the... <laughs> Madonna was the original horny online. Oh, yeah. Like, you're not... She wrote a book called Sex by Madonna that got her in a ton of trouble. I've read it. It's just artsy photography. And then the last big kind of ad debacle they've had until recently uh, was in the late 90s when Britney Spears did an ad where she dances. And at the end, it seems like Bob Dole is enjoying it a little too much. For people who don't know, Bob Dole ran against Bill Clinton in 96, I believe, um, and was kind of a joke. Now, the following story does not appear on uh pepsi's wikipedia page yet does not appear in a lot of places except for non-pepsi related publications so we'll talk more about like commercials and how they came about to be in future episode in a future episode uh but pepsi's marketing strategy has pretty much remained the same since after mac left appeal to the youth uh elton john has done commercials michael jackson's done commercials it's it's insane if you go to the pepsi youtube page it's filled with ads with celebrities that only young people would know youtube stars and such yeah well i mean what do we what did we just talk about brands cynically reappropriate youth culture imagery trends exactly. and and repackage them in a shittier format because on april 4th 2017 a mere oh two days ago oh god after a week of promotional bullcrap pepsi unveiled its latest short film strangely titled and i'm not even kidding this is the title no punctuation between these five words are you ready oh no live for now moments anthem Uh, liam i hate brands i I know buddy i know buddy i know buddy i'm dying every word that you speak is killing me very slowly what what i like though was i rose you up by introducing you to Walter Mack, your new favorite man from the 40s, and then bringing you down because he's not around to save you. The commercial set to Lions by Skip Marley opens with scenes of a protest. Nondescript. Nondescript. A nondescript protest. Lots of young people of color, lots of women of color, countless signs asking for love or to join the conversation or to start the revolution. It evokes images of a lot of the protests that we've been seeing. Black Lives Matter. Women's marches, you know, things like and, that. And it stars Kendall Jenner. Now, mm. listeners of the show will know that we have a resident Kardashian expert on hand. Unfortunately, she's at work right now. But she sent me an email that she would like me to read. So this is from Jane, media major's resident Kardashian expert. Kendall Jenner is the second youngest of the OG Kardashian-Jenner empire, uh, not including any of the recent kids such as north and whatnot she is the daughter of chris jenner so she's not uh she's kim and chloe and the other one's uh half sister so she has a i believe youngest younger sister named kylie kendall and kylie 
And Kendall and Kylie used to be considered the same person because no one really cared about them until they started uh, they started to get into the pub- publicity world. Uh, Kylie does a lot of lip kit stuff, dyes her hair. She dated Tyga, which was like a huge thing. She appropriates black culture a lot. Yep. But Kendall, however, was always the quiet one. She was described as shy, awkward, and quiet and preferred to stay out of the spotlight. Uh, now Jane wants us to know wants us to know Tom are you the Kylie am I the Kylie who's the Kylie who's the Kendall how about this we're Liam and Tom we're Liam and Tom and we are not gonna compare ourselves to maybe kind of sketchy people and you're Kanye West oh no oh Liam anything but so this ad features Kendall Jenner doing some pretty gross stuff yeah Pepsi's ad is super dumb, but the choice to put Kendall in it wasn't at all. She's been linked to huge profit gains for brands that she collaborates with. Makes sense. Her social media reach is just incredible. You become a part of culture by embracing someone like her. So it makes sense that Pepsi, whose whole thing is trying to appeal to millennial youth culture, would would, um, try to get her. Yeah. So that's our little bit on Kendall from Jane. And then uh, two fun facts. Kanye West frequently checks Kendall's Tumblr to get style style inspiration for his album covers. And next year, Kendall will be making an Ocean's a uh, cameo in the Ocean's 8 movie, and Jane is praying that there's a Pepsi joke. Oh, God. So, let's talk about the commercial a little more in depth, shall we? <sighs> shall we? We shall. All right. So, it's the middle of this protest. There's a cello player on the roof. People are holding signs. Everything's that Pepsi blue color we've grown Everybody's, like, at this protest just, like, smiling, having a great time, guys. They are having... The time of their fucking lives at this protest. Nondescript. Jenner then enters from the side of the street in the middle of a mind-numbing fashion shoot, sporting a blonde wig and red lips. She couldn't possibly look more bored. That is until she notices the protesters march by and begins to feel stirrings of a greater purpose? A particular cute protester catches her eye, having been catalyzed by a silful sip of the soda, and gives her a nod. Come save us, he seems to say. And save us, she does. Whipping off her wig, and if I may say, she hands it to a black person. Ugh. A black woman. Jesus, God, She I literally die. takes off her blonde wig and hands it to a black woman. I die. And even <laughs> that woman's expression is like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> and she smears oh. off the lipstick because Kendall Jenner, Kendall Jenner is ready to join the revolution. <sighs> Suddenly, she's in some two-toned acid-washed denim her sunglasses on her head she's got this and she's got this can of pepsi awkwardly in her hands like she doesn't know how to hold a can properly i don't know if you noticed that like it's weird that was not what i was paying attention to in the ad (laughs) so i mean i I watched it a few times so i was able to kind of look for things sauntering through the crowd to the front of the march jenner wields a greater bravery than all of the marginalized men and women behind her and yet again catches the eye of another good-looking protester dude oh sorry not a protester dude a handsome police <laughs> officer me. an armed police officer an armed police officer oh god she approaches the police officer oh i want to die she offers him a can of pepsi i literally i couldn't fucking finish this ad he takes the can of pepsi and the crowd goes wild <sighs> kendall jenner has ended racism with soda now, the really, really bad part is that this 
particular shot evokes a couple of different images. One of the images is the the famous image of the flower girl putting the flower in the cop's head for the uh, Vietnam War protests, mm-hmm. which was a very, very scary yeah. time. Well, cops were shooting college students. like Yes, but it was also being broadcast yeah. on television. And it, But more specifically, it evokes the image of the award-winning photo of Aisha Evans at the mm-hmm. Baton Rouge protest against police brutality in last mm-hmm. July. In the photo, a calm Evans appears serene in the center of a violent scene, offering her hands for arrest to a group of heavily armed police officers. Who are freaking the fuck out. <laughs> it's a haunting image. And you know what that image does not feature? What? Pepsi, Sierra Mist, Mug, Gatorade, <laughs> any of the fucking Pepsi-Cola... Any of the fucking PepsiCo brands. The image was made iconic by the Black Lives Matter movement. It's been used frequently to protest against the inequality in America at a time when racial tensions have been, they say especially fraught in this article, but I'm going to say have been fucking bonkers. Which makes Jenner, a very rich white woman who comes from a very rich Mm -hmm. famous white family, a rather curious choice for Pepsi's so-called saving grace. Yeah. On Pepsi's global YouTube page, the video has been described as a short film about the moments when we decide to let go, choose to act, follow our passion, and nothing holds us back. Capturing the spirit and action of those people that jump into every moment and featuring multiple lives, stories, and emotional connections that show passion, joy, unbound, and where's everyone going? Why is everyone, (laughs) what? Where are the pitchforks and torches coming from? Oh, man. Yeah, that's why people protest, because they want to live in the moment, not because things have become so untenable for them that they feel that they have no other choice. Fuck, man. In their original press statement, the company said that this is an attempt at a more progressive approach to truly reflect today's generation. Oh my god. And reach a politically outspoken audience. (sighs) Well, that audience spoke back and spoke back loudly it did. The internet threw Pepsi through a ringer of slam dunks. Tom, I'm gonna read some tweets. Hell yeah. Welcome to Media Majors where sometimes... We gotta we gotta take a step back and let somebody else handle this for us. All right. Uh, so at ranting Al Olivia A Cole tweeted two great ones. Director, young lady in the head thingy. I want you to look like you re- just realized how lucky you are to be witness witnessing this because you are. Oh. And then a picture of Kendall with the caption, "Wow, I just solved all the problems of the country by being rich and thin and white and pretty. What else Ugh. should I do today?" <laughs> Another great tweet. Unfortunately, I I couldn't find who did this one. Um, uh, So if this is yours, I thought this was hilarious. Ivanka, there. Now absolutely nobody can produce something more tone deaf than me today. Kendall, hold my Pepsi. (laughs) Uh, Brandon Wardell tweeted, We should all send monthly donations to Pepsi and Kendall Jenner, the leaders of the resistance. (laughs) You know what? Uh, Twitter is bad, but Twitter is also very, very good. He also tweeted... Kendall Jenner hands cop a Pepsi. Cop, I'm not racist anymore. (laughs) Dave Itzkoff at uh, at Ditzkoff tweeted, Hi, I'm Rachel Dolezal for Crystal Pepsi. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Which is maybe the funniest joke anyone's ever said. (laughs) Uh, James Poniewozik at Poniewozik tweeted, It's not a cola. Taps board. It's the resistance. Mr. Draper, for the last time, you no longer work here. (laughs) Dan Ozzy, at Dan Ozzy, tweeted, Hell yeah, I hope the militarized police force beats the shit out of me while enjoying a cool and freshing Pepsi, TM. Ronald Funches, at Ron Funches, tweeted, Y'all laughing, but this is how I'm going to be driving through LA from now on. And it shows a van 
completely stocked with Pepsi. Oh my god. At Yad's Willy took a picture of a kid trying to hand a bottle of water to a police during a actual uh, protest and tweeted, we did this in Baltimore, but nothing changed at Pepsi. Demi, uh, all right, so I, I love this comedian. His name, his first name is Denny. He does Gilmore, the Gilmore Guys podcast. I'm so sorry. I'm, oh yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about. Yes. And I also do not know how to pronounce his name and should not try. It's Demi Adejuyegbi at Electrolemon. It's a song. I'd like to fight brutality and protest till it stops. I'd like to buy a Pepsi Cola and share it with the cops. (laughs) (laughs) Again, brilliant. But the best tweet was from Bernice King, Martin Luther King's daughter. Yep. Mm -hmm. I believe it was, if only daddy had a Pepsi. If only daddy would have known about the power of hashtag Pepsi. Fucking slam dunk broke the backboard. (laughs) Glass everywhere. That's so fucking vicious. I love it. On April 5th, about 24 hours later, Pepsi pulled the ad. They released a statement. Pepsi was trying to project a global message of unity, peace, and understanding. Clearly, we missed the mark, and we apologize. Clearly. We did not intend to make light of any serious issue. We are pulling the content and halting any further rollout. We also apologize for putting Kendall Jenner in this position. Kendall Jenner, as of yet, has not made a statement. She's pulled down. I, I did I did a little bit of reading about this. It sounds like she's pulled down every mention of it from her social media. It sounds like she wasn't involved in the creative process and did not know what the ad was going to be until she had already signed on that doesn't that doesn't mean that she's off the hook yet nope and here's the thing before the controversy she was quoted saying i'm thrilled to join the legendary roster of icons who have represented their generations and worked with pepsi to me pepsi is more than just a beverage false it is literally just a beverage it registers <laughs> as a pop culture icon nope that would be coca-cola and a lifestyle that shares a voice with the generation today. I literally don't know anybody who drinks Pepsi. That was Liam. That wasn't Jennifer. Uh, yeah, I can't think of anybody I know. I guess people by accident when they go to a restaurant and they want Coke, but... Is Pepsi okay? No, it is not. So what can we learn from this? Well, for one thing, how about you hire people of color to make your advertisements, huh? Yep. Look at what Walter Mack did. He put you on the map by appealing to everyone, especially people of color, and treating them like people. You dumb shits. <laughs> See, the commercial, and this is something crazy I learned last night. The commercial was made by Pepsi's creative conglomerate, Creators League Studio, a 4,000-square-foot content studio in New York's Soho neighborhood that is literally only there to make Pepsi commercials. Oh, my God. (laughs) What a nightmare. What a den of sin and savagery. The studio opened May of last year. Before that, Pepsi is quoted as saying, we could only make about two or three spots a year but now we can make 400 commercials a year. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Anything else? No, 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 no. Not that many. Not that many. They've already, Tom, they've already done it. Pepsi's YouTube page has so many videos. Liam, I'm begging you, no. But Tom. Oh no. What can we conspire from this? Because here's the thing. Was this Pepsi's plan the whole time? They pulled that ad so quickly, and I'm, I would not be surprised if they had that apology written. And I checked the stocks, mm-hmm. and while Tuesday the stocks went down, 
when they pulled the ad, the stocks went up. According to CNN Money, Pepsi stock went down on Tuesday, but rose Wednesday with the ad being pulled. But stocks are a big capitalist lie, so who fucking yeah. cares? Well, that's the thing. A, a, a lot of people were like, don't talk about this ad because that's what they want you to do. But like, then the alternative is just don't criticize racism. Hey, here's a, here's a fun here's a fun media majors pro tip. If somebody ever says to you, hey, don't they're just trying to get a rise out of you, don't talk about the thing. That's a completely useless point of view because the alternative is never talk about the thing. And so the thing just gets worse. Yep. So I'll end it with this. I don't like Lana Del Rey. <laughs> she has a song called Cola, and it opens with the lyrics, my pussy tastes like Pepsi-Cola. But uh, they're a huge capitalist company. We shouldn't be that shocked that they're tone deaf. Yeah. Anyways, that's yeah. the story of the recent Pepsi controversy. Wow. But can you believe that Walter Mack shit? That's such a bummer, too, because, like... Well, and that's the thing. That's the thing, is, is racism is systemic and structural and so if as well as many other things and so if you have a racist in charge it will leave behind a legacy that will be extremely difficult to purge from your company but if you don't and if you are not a racist and your company is run by people who are uh, uh, actively opposed to racism then it will be much easier to excise the the racism that spills into it from without in this horrible garbage world that we all occupy had a real discoursey episode a real a real meaty chunk didn't we liam yes we did i think it's time that we shine a little healthy light on ourselves in our favorite segment and everyone's favorite segment self-care corner yes it is because sometimes we talk about rough stuff like uh <laughs> being horny online or racism the tone deaf racism of pepsi yep and we like to balance that out with something positive at the end of every episode and i'm gonna go first so uh my brother is in town for spring break wait have i heard the story yes i totally oh this is so good I, you guys it's so good i spoiled it for liam i normally don't but it was just too good and i couldn't keep it in me so my brother is in town for spring break and he has just entered his first relationship uh, with this girl. I don't need to say her name. It's Kendall Jenner. And uh, my dad. And so, of course, my mom and my dad are like grilling him about it because they're like, what is she like? Is this or that or whatever? And my, my dad asks, oh, well, how did you guys meet? And my brother says, we were in the same study group. And my dad says, quote, so is she there to actually help and do work or is she just there to suck off the study group? And he did not know what he had said. And I super knew what he had said and could not stop laughing. And my whole fucking family was like, Tom, what is so funny? And I literally had to run. I ran out of the room. I got up from the dinner table and ran out of the room because I was laughing so hard and did not want to tell my uh, dad that he had just made a fellatio faux pas. So that's my self-care corner was the funniest fucking most uncomfortable thing in the world. I believe you mean blow pa. This podcast is over. Liam does not get a self-care corner. I'm shutting it down. Damn. Um, my self-care corner. So I have been just flabbergasted with the amount of great television that 2017 has kind of been giving me. And I just want to talk about 
like a couple of shows that I've been really into and I really want everybody to watch. Uh, the Mabim Bam show on CISO is great. Fucking Legion great. is great. Um, but then there's a show that is just so amazing and it's called Trial and Error. I want everybody to watch Trial and Error. It is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. It is a, a mockumentary like The Office or The Parks and Rec, but it's about a murder case. Uh, John Lithgow is the um, main suspect of killing his wife, and it's better than The Office and Parks and Rec. It's funnier. Like the every they've been working on this show for forever because it's based on the staircase. There is a gruesome storm happening outside my window. <laughs> Uh, but I literally have not laughed out loud this much at a network sitcom since Community, maybe? I mean, some of the best jokes. And it's the guy who produces it and directed it, do, it does Review with Andy Daly, um, which is a really dark show, and it, it has that dark sensibility to it. And it's... there. Oh, I've never seen this in a show before. Out of the main cast, everyone's excellent. There's no weak link. Oh, like, everybody awesome. does it perfectly. So yeah, watch Trial and Error, because it'll lift up your spirits. Cool. Alright, that brings us to the end of another episode of Media Majors. Thank you everybody for listening. We've been having a, a big uptick in downloads, so we're pushing to get just like one review, one rating on iTunes by the end of, in like a month or something. Uh, yeah. If you follow us on Twitter, we'll shout you out. Uh, you can follow us at Media Majors Cast on Twitter. Email us at mediamagerspodcast at gmail.com. Yep. With story suggestions, if you've got like a self-care corner, just like a fun thing that happened in your week that made you happy. And, you know, I want to stress this. Like, I would like us to have more Twitter followers. I want people to be tweeting about us and like an iTunes review. If you do one of those things, we're going to do a shout out and you will also have our gratitude. Yep. Uh, and as I keep saying... I want this, to, we're picking up steam, and I want all of us to be on aboard this train. So let's keep, let's keep the numbers rolling, gang. Yeah. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And remember. Oh, are you saying it or am I saying it? Oh, you're going to say it. We'll be there for you. <laughs>